And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is the man who used to be Paul Michael Tenorio, but is now rebranded as Paul United SC. Hi, Paul. Congrats on the update. Oh, thank you. I feel very good about what this is going to do for my global recognition. So, <laughs> I mean, that should do it. That does seem to be the leading cause of all rebrands these days. Uh, that is obviously a topic we're going to go into in depth. We'll talk a little bit later about MLS in general, the season so far. But let's start with the situation with the crew. And I'll start on a basic level. They've obviously done the rebrand for people who've missed it. Go look at some images and then come back and uh, I'm sure you'll be confused. Uh, Paul, when you first saw this, what were your thoughts? This is the Chicago fire all over again. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just feels like such a disconnect from what fans want. And I get that MLS's take is basically like the diehard fans don't matter. They're too small of a subset to, to matter. And that just infuriates me for a lot of different reasons. But I think, you know, a big part is just that those are the fans that create the atmosphere in the stadium that makes you different from everything else in this country. And that makes other people spend money. Um, and so, you know, I, I, when I saw the logo, I was just like, this is so bad. Like it's so different and not in a good way. You yeah. know, sometimes you can get different in a really good way. And this was not that. So I understand they tried to incorporate some unique elements. Like I think the shape itself is a reference to the flag of Ohio, but the, on a basic level, they didn't really consult with the fans. I know there's the uh, Brian Strauss article and the Sam article. Sam wrote a good article for The Athletic about it, talking about how they, they claim they did consult with a few different people. 
that's uh, disputed. But I am sort of wondering if you have an idea from your perspective, having worked with front offices or talked to front offices, why there would be such little input requested or desired by Columbus when they're making this choice. Well, what the team thinks is like when when they're going through a rebrand, the way that they ask people, I guess, and, and get input from fans is at the very beginning stages. You know, they have these focus groups and they say, okay, tell us what you think of when you think of Columbus and what you want Columbus to represent. And then those focus groups that are based as, you know, some are fans of the team. Some are people in Columbus who are sports fans, but not soccer fans. Some are soccer fans who aren't from Columbus. You know, some are um, people who live in Columbus who aren't sports fans, right? And they get these answers. And from those answers, they draw inspiration for logos. Like that's typically how this focus group works. And in their belief, the, the belief of the clubs, that is the input that is needed to kind of start the process. And it doesn't, you know, they basically they don't believe they need to cater to the diehard fans. In their mind, this this whole exercise is meant to expand the fan base beyond just those diehard fans. And let's be frank here. There are MLS teams that need to expand their fan bases. And two of those are Chicago and Columbus, two teams that recently went through a rebrand. So there is a reason why they're doing this, right? They need to draw more people into the stadiums. They need to create more merchandise and more revenue through the merchandise. And really, it's not even the revenue of the merchandise. What they want is people to walk around the city wearing the gear and become essentially walking billboards, right? To pull in new people. And there's a couple things that I think they missed the mark on by going through that process. And the first is like, yes, you need to grow beyond that small subset of fans. But again, as I said earlier, those fans, those most vocal fans that drum up the noise on Twitter and also drum up the noise in your stadium are the draw for Major League Soccer. Right now, it's really not the on-field product. Like we have to recognize that and acknowledge that MLS is still so far below the European leagues that if you want people to come and watch you, the thing that they're buying is the stadium experience. That's why people are coming. And MLS knows that, right? All of their marketing on TV, their ads, is built around the atmospheres in the best stadiums in MLS. And that's why we see so much LAFC on TV, so much Seattle on TV, so much Portland on TV. It's because, and Atlanta, obviously, because they know that when people see those types of atmospheres, they stop flipping through the channels and they watch and they say, oh, this is this must be legit. And so I'm confused. What really confuses me about the branding process is that that atmosphere is so valued by the league when it comes to selling its product on TV and kind of saying, this is our growth, right? Like this shows MLS's growth. But when you come to the rebrands, it's downplayed. It You minimize that and you say, oh, well, that's just a small subset of fans. And that's why it's so confusing is like, yes, you need to grow your audience, but that small subset of fans and their opinions about your club are a big part of growing that audience. So I feel like I should have offered this this disclaimer up front. I will offer it now to people listening. Uh, I'm treating this. Sometimes I try to have my interviews like follow a structure. Like when I had Manuel on last week to talk about the Bundesliga, it was like low stepping down, Flick taking over. Why did Flick step down? What's Nagelsmann going to do? This one, it's going to be sort of all over the place because I have lots of questions and lots of thoughts. With that in mind, those four clubs you mentioned there, LAFC, Portland, Seattle, Atlanta – 
I think you could make an argument that two of them have kind of stuck to the interesting, unique name model, even though the Sounders, I think, didn't originally want to still be the Sounders, and then the fan voting went a certain way. Atlanta and LAFC, a little bit different, but I think they've done such a good job of creating that atmosphere, of creating for lack of a better way of putting it, a vibe around that team that people respond to and are excited about. And I don't think I understand fully why owners look at those types of teams and think all we need to do is change the branding and then the fans will follow. It's a little uh, uh, f- like Field of Dream. What's the uh, baseball movie I'm, I'm struggling to remember? Field of Dreams. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I was like, Field of Dreams seems wrong. It's like that model of like, oh, yeah, all you have to do is rebrand and then the fans will come in. And I don't understand fully why there isn't more of an emphasis on how do we improve the game day experience? How do we get those fans more involved so that the atmosphere looks more lively so that more people want to attend, more people care? Yeah, because everyone's always looking for the magic button, the easy button to press, right? Like it's so much easier to say, oh, well, if we just rebrand, then we're going to be more attractive to more people. And that'll be the answer, right? It's a lot harder to internal look internally and say, well, we need to fix this, 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 and this, right? We need to improve our staff. We need to hire more salespeople. We need to um, put a better product on the field, which is a lot more money, and you know, than than one time rebrand, right? And and really, what what happens is there's kind of a selective memory here, right? Every time there's a rebrand. People point to Sporting Kansas City. Yep. That's what happens. Every time MLS will say, well, look how successful Sporting Kansas City was. Yeah, but that's because the Kansas City Wiz brand was so bad. They had no momentum in the market. They yep. opened a stadium. And you know what? The name was bad. But what happened was they opened this beautiful new stadium and they had a good soccer team. And the atmosphere was good. And that brought people in and kept people there because the team was winning, right? So you had, yes, you had a rebrand. But you also had these other things that aligned with it. You know, and what's crazy is Columbus has those things too, right? And and I, but I think we can we can acknowledge that at the time, the attachment to Kansas City Wizards and the Kansas City Wiz was not as strong as the attachment to Columbus Crew. Like there, yeah. every market and every fan base is going to be different about kind of the way they see the club's history, and so it's it's not. I don't think it's fair to just point to Sporting Kansas City and see, well, that worked, so it's going to work somewhere else. And, you know, we, what's, what's a little bit frustrating is there is, there is such, there's not a ton of history in this country of soccer, right? There really isn't. Like the reason the Sounders exist as the Sounders is because the Sounders have existed in Seattle beyond MLS and the fans recognize that and voted for it, right? And, you know, LA soccer history, there wasn't a real need or attachment to kind of, pull in a name when they created a new club. You know, they could be something different because the brand that mattered in LA was the Galaxy. So you're creating something totally new. And, you know, I just don't understand this desire from the league to erase its own history in a in a bid to try to grasp onto something that feels more quote unquote genuine. Because by by erasing that name and that history you're getting rid of what's genuine, right? Like it's, and, and, and so that easy button becomes a lot more difficult when there's a real history behind that club that matters that people are attached to. And, and I think that's the funniest part to me is like when they did that focus group in Columbus, the three things that they kept hearing that were important to them, to the fans was black and gold Columbus, elevating Columbus and the crew. 
And yet they still came to the conclusion that the best way to go was to be Columbus SC and only make the crew a nickname. And, you know, they're, you know, they're insistent that like they're, they're going harder with the crew. And I'm like, you can't say that, right? You can't say you're like leaning into the crew more when the one word you removed from your club's name was crew. You know, you didn't listen. And like, that's kind of an important part of the focus groups. Like they told yeah. you these are three important things. All three things already existed in your brand. You know, you could have refreshed the logo, created new cool gear, even though you didn't really need to refresh the logo and still tried to accomplish something. But they, they clearly felt that what existed as the status quo wasn't going to be enough to increase, to, to open themselves up to new fans. And what makes me sad about this whole situation, man, is like, We'll never know. Like, I think that they had a lot of the ingredients in place that Kansas City had, even without a name change. They have a team that's suddenly good. They just won a championship. They have one of the best rosters in Major League Soccer. And they have a really great new downtown stadium being built. That might have been enough. You People come to the stadium. They experience that atmosphere for the first time. And they stay, right? And, like, I'm sorry I'm rambling here. But, like, it reminds me of... When I was in Orlando for the Sentinel covering Orlando City, and they started their expansion season with a brilliant, um, you know, marketing idea, which was fill the bowl. hashtag Fill the bowl. They wanted to fill the citrus bowl, and it was really smart because it created this event, right? This one one off event. Everyone needed to get the ticket, and they filled the bowl. Sixty two thousand people showed up for the first game in Orlando City history, and you can bet that. N- not even close to 62,000 people were actually soccer fans or even less so MLS fans, but they experienced a soccer atmosphere for the first time. And enough of those 62,000 were like, whoa, that was fun. That was different than watching college football or watching the NFL or NBA. I'm going to come back. And that's what these MLS teams need to try to create. And I think Columbus was on the verge of that. And now it's going to be like DC United. I was at the first DC United game at Audi Field it was a huge missed opportunity because it was this hot ticket. Everybody bought t- a ticket to go that weren't really fans. They showed up and the club was in a stupid battle with the supporters groups and the stadium was quiet. Mm-hmm. It was embarrassing. And even the players and the coaches were saying stuff after the game about how weird it felt, how eerie it felt because you didn't have that drum beat. You didn't have the fans. And all of those casual fans that, hey, I want to check it out, see what this new stadium's about, see what th- see what it's all about. They were like, okay, that was okay. The soccer was, there was a good goal in that game, but like, that's not going to bring them back. The atmosphere would have brought them back and they, that wasn't there. And I think that's what's going to happen to Columbus now. Like, I think that stadium is going to open with essentially without the supporter section doing the things that supporter section, supporter sections do. And that's going to impact the balance that they would normally get from this new stadium. So with that in mind, is it just these owners like taking those supporters for granted? Because as you said, there's this idea that, yeah, we know we've got the diehards, but that's not necessarily going to make us this global brand or it's not going to move us to the next level when it comes to attendance and awareness around the country. But then you're moving away from these people that do provide the atmosphere, that do care, that do fight to keep the team in Columbus in the first place. And that's where, like, my brain gets confused, and sometimes that's because I'm stupid, and sometimes it's because 
there's a disconnect that I'm not able to sort of understand. And that's where I am with this, is that for the owners to say we want it to be more broadly appealing, but we also want to care about the fans, but we assume the diehards will kind of follow lockstep. I guess it just feels like there are a lot of assumptions there that I wasn't expecting from an ownership group that came in in the Save the Crew era and basically knew what this club meant, knew what this team meant to the people, and now here we are. I don't really understand how those things happen simultaneously. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's an easy answer for that, right? Because there is a there is a level of downplaying that fan group. There is a level of saying, look, we we appreciate you. We appreciate what you bring to the club, but you're not enough, right? That's what they're saying. And and from a business point of view, that's mm-hmm. true. They need more. But to to completely kind of disregard everything you learned about this club from that sector of fans, from that subset of fans that saved the crew, that were passionate about this. Like you you can say you are wonderful and also not enough for this club to sustain. How can we grow this together, right? Like that would be the approach that I would take, that a lot of people would take and say, how can we take this thing that's good and positive and, you know, grow it? And guess what? They did. They did some of that, right? They bought, they saved the club. They kept it in Columbus. They put way more money into the team than had been put into the team before. They hired one of the best general managers in MLS. They hired one of the best head coaches in MLS and they won a championship, all of those things contribute to bringing more fans into the stadiums. And then they decided, well, no, we need to do something else to excite people. A stadium isn't exciting enough. And if we rebrand, that'll attract people. And essentially what they did was, yeah, they were like, you guys are great, but we need them. And they didn't think of it as together. Right. Like they, they created these two separate ideas and you hear it all the time. It's like it's so funny because it's like bizarro world because it's the same kind of talk corporate speak that you were hearing before Save the Crew happened of like, oh, you know, it's just this loud kind of very small subset of fans in Columbus that are making all this noise. You know, the market doesn't really work. It doesn't make sense for MLS to stay in the market. That was like the what people were saying before. And now it's, oh, you know, it's just a small group of fans that really isn't representative of like the market as a whole. A lot more people aren't going to care about the logo. You know, they're, they're going to embrace the team in the stadium anyway. And they, and it's like, I don't understand really how they didn't learn this lesson that they mm-hmm. already learned in this market with this subset of fans and the power that those fans have. And especially in the wake of Chicago Fire, especially in the wake of, the Super League, all of these elements are the same of the kind of corporate overlords of these teams and of these leagues saying, we know better than you. That's what they're saying. We know better than you that this is the way for the club to grow. This is the way for the club to evolve, quote unquote. You guys don't know best. Trust us, right? Like that's what real, like that's what you heard from the clubs that are still trying to push Super League. Like we know. This we're saving the sport, right? You fans don't understand. We're saving the sport. And it's the same thing with the crew. They're saying, we get that you're upset right now, but we're saving, we are saving the crew. We're we're growing it. And in reality, you're not. How can you be growing something when you're disenfranchising the people who 
allowed it to live, right? And like, I get that the owners played a big role in keeping the crew alive by buying the crew, but you know that doesn't mean that the fans didn't play just as big a part yeah. in doing it, right? Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Do you have an idea then why it's branding that they, they've emphasized? Is that just sort of like the last thing that it could be? Because in my mind, when branding, when rebrands have worked, and I could be totally wrong, but this is how I have remembered them, are teams like like the Tampa Bay Bucks, who I don't love their owners, uh, but I will say that I remember them being the like creamsicle jerseys, and they had the, the guy with the sword in his mouth, and that was their logo, and they rebranded, and it sort of, to me, marked a turnaround in that franchise, and then they win a Super Bowl. The Patriots, their old logo, not what it is now, and there's a rebrand, and now the Patriots are what they are. The rebrand doesn't do that, but to me... When an organization decides we are rebranding, it means things have not been working. We want to change it up. The Devil Rays tried that by going to the Rays. It hasn't had that big of an impact. But I think that's where I get confused here is that this feels like, as you said, a team that's winning. They have a competitive coach there. They've got a competitive manager. They're opening a new stadium. So then rebranding on top of all that, it just seems unnecessary as opposed to let's give this season with a new stadium and everything going on. Let's give it a year and see what happens. And then we can look at the branding. So do you think it's just boils down to it's the only thing they could think of that might sell more merchandise that might sell more tickets? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all linked, right? They looked at it as this is the timeline we have to do it on, right? Like if you're going to rebrand, you're missing a huge opportunity if you don't do it when the new stadium is opening, right? Like, Announce it all at once and say, this is a fresh start. This is the new us. And that's, I think, ultimately what played the biggest role for Columbus Crew is that the owners looked at it and said, we're opening a new stadium. We just won a championship. We're going to announce all of this and say, hey, we are a new Columbus team, right? We are not the old crew that you remember that you guys weren't showing up for with a bad stadium and a subpar product most years and not really that exciting. No, we are new. We are something different than you've experienced before. We have an exciting new stadium. We have an exciting team. We have an exciting coach and GM that are going to keep building a winner and like come check us out. And they felt essentially that they couldn't sell that with the old team name and the old team logo. Like, how can you sell it as something new? And I think MLS is going through this problem right now where they recognize that these legacy markets are lagging well behind the expansion teams. And and they're not wrong in that those expansion teams were able to sell something new. It was. It was something brand new. A team built from scratch. A 
uh, a new club logo and, you know, a new sport in the town. And, you know, it wasn't the same old thing that you've heard of since you were a kid that you've never really been interested in. And so, like, how do you capture that excitement of like, oh, like, this is the new thing in town to do? Well, one way is to change the name, right? It's like, oh, this isn't the Columbus crew. This is Columbus SC. We're new. We're different. And that's what they're going for is, is there, you know, they're trying to seize on the momentum of a new stadium to sell. We are something new. Come and check us out, right? Come and experience something new in your market. And, and that's, I think that's what leads to these name changes and to these logo changes is, you know, you have to look new to be new. And, and I don't know, I don't know how true that is. We haven't really had a chance to see it. Yeah, but I agree with you everything you're saying. It's just then where I get confused is like if your idea is we are new, we are different, we are exciting, we are the same name as everybody else. And <laughs> that like again, it's just so confusing to me as to why every new team is City or United FC or SC. And some of that is convention and I get it, but also it does start to feel like, ah, it's what everybody else did. So it's what we're doing. It almost feels like I'm not saying this is the case, but it gets to the point where it feels like there are four template names that are approved of and you have to pick one and modify it slightly. And there you go. So that's where I'm sort of at a loss for why the ownership group that says we want to show it's not business as usual. We're changing it up. We're doing things differently then goes with a, we're going to wear white and black jerseys, as Brian Strauss pointed out, and we're going to name our team the same name as everybody else has to make it more generic almost. Well, you have to remember, like, they're they're not really shooting for us who knows all, we know all the team names in MLS. Like, they're, they're shooting for the casual sports fan that they're trying to convert into a soccer fan. And by, and, and there is, they believe that they're buying some sort of authenticity, professionalism of what those casual soccer fans and casual sports fans might think of when they think of the best soccer clubs in the world. And, you know, MLS is not the same as the Premier League, but, you know, oh, like this is a, you know, this is, this is a Columbus SC, you know, this is a soccer club. This is a global brand. This is a, um, a real professional club. And like, that's kind of what they're going for. They're trying to use the name to signal authenticity to fans who don't understand the sport have never been mls fans don't really know yet what they're consuming and you know i I think there's a few things here like first of all i feel i joke that it's like mls is like we need to like seo ourselves maybe that's just because i come from a journalism company where everything like is about seo not just in my company but in my entire um kind of career path like in journalism nowadays it's like we have to seo things people search and they'll find Mm -hmm. you like, oh, like, I want to know, like, the Columbus soccer team. I'm going to type in Columbus soccer and Columbus soccer club will be the first thing up on your Google search. That's what it feels like, right? It's like, oh, no one's going to know what the Columbus crew do or play, but they'll know if you're Columbus soccer club. They'll know exactly what you are. And, you know, there was a little bit of that with the Chicago Fire, you know, when they added football club and then they felt like, oh, the logo looks like you're like firemen. And like players mm-hmm. have talked about being at an airport and people coming up to them and thanking them thinking that they were Chicago fire department and that they were firefighters when in fact they were a soccer team. So like there were some like real branding issues there that they felt they had to fix. But to your point, like, you know, when you look and and Strauss wrote this in his wonderful column as well for, for SI, you know, the Sounders are one of the great brands in major league soccer that really truly resonate. 
And the one brand in this league that is recognizable globally is the LA Galaxy. Like winning and winning championships and and doing things that matter is how you generate fans, right? Like no one's going to be confused about what you are or who you are if you're successful and you put a good product on the field and you sign good players or you sell good players. Like people aren't, you know, if Philadelphia Union keep selling players abroad, everyone's going to know who the Philadelphia Union are. You know, like yeah. th- there's not going to be a question about that. And so, you know, this search for authenticity, again, you're you're eliminating some of the actual authenticity of the league. And, and it's, you know, it's silly because like if you just keep embracing that authenticity over time, it will be something that resonates in the same way that every other sports team name resonates. Every other um, football club, soccer club resonates, right? Like, you know, not not everything has to be S- city SC, you know, like it, it doesn't doesn't have to be that way for it to be genuine and real. But like you, you also just I think you discredit your league internationally in a way because it, it makes it feel less permanent. Right. It erases some of that permanence. Um, it erases some of that history in an attempt to capture fans who, frankly, aren't going to make your club matter. Right. Like the like I I hated watching the Montreal introduction of their new brand mm-hmm. because they kept talking about international fans like you need to put local fans in your seats like what do you care about what global brand you are it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter for the yep. bottom line of the of, of those clubs i also think if you're trying to be a global brand this is obviously a strange analogy to draw but i i equate it with like if i am drawing i remember this in like school when i would be drawing a picture and it would be my own creation that was the time that i would get the like oh that's a great drawing but when you see what somebody else is doing and you like the style and then you try to kind of like mirror that with what you're doing then it's really clear that you're kind of looking at them and you're seeing what they're doing and you're not creating your own thing and I extend that to some of these teams where, like, Seattle, I remember them coming in. And as I said, I, I remember them not wanting to be the Sounders, but then that being the thing that, like, won the online vote. And then they get the color scheme and they get a Seattle company to be their jersey sponsor. And I think about clubs that have done a really good job of basically presenting this idea of unity, that everybody's on board and Portland are having, uh, you know, like, the the segments of the tree cut off. And then they're planting trees to make up for it. And And, like, when you get these organic moments, it makes that team feel like they're doing something smart they're doing something that's succeeding atlanta united and the the is it the terminus legion i always want to call it the terminal legion but that would be a different thing i think but the the railroad spike and this idea of authenticity and authentically sort of representing the city and the fan base those are the teams that always have this message of they're doing something special even lafc with the all of the very famous owners and the black and gold and it you get this vibe of like oh wow this is going to be like a big team and there's going to be a lot of interest and teams that sort of look at that and try to create that like look at other people's paper and then try to do their version of that to me it just becomes that much more clear that that's what they're doing and so you don't get that authentic idea behind it you get more of the kind of chaos and the short-sightedness coming to the front Uh, and i'm now going long but like i think about the article felipe wrote this week about atlanta united which was fascinating. And in there you see all of the stuff that was happening and there's a lot of discontent and there's relationships that aren't quite working, but you don't ever really get that when you're thinking of Atlanta United, the championship winning team, they're presented as this like, wow, they're doing everything right. They've got it all figured out. And I think some teams are really good about doing that and doing it sometimes genuinely. And I think there are other teams that sort of mirror that. And that's what I feel like Columbus are doing here a little bit. 
Yeah, but what's also weird about this this league is it's so new, right? It's still so new, and so many of these clubs are new that they, you know, I, I think about it like I, again. I always kind of use this analogy with MLS and UCF because I covered UCF football before I started covering MLS full time again, and. UCF had this advantage that I always used to argue with George O'Leary when he was the football coach there because he was like a traditionalist of college football. He wanted to be like Notre Dame with a job he almost had and didn't have, right? And and Georgia Tech where he used to coach. Like, this is the uniform we wear. This is how football works, like a white top and, a black, and dark pants. And this is, you know, this is who we are, right? And, you know, that's what Florida State is in Florida. And my point was always like, yes, like Florida State and Florida have to do that, right? They have to have their brands because they have tradition and history, and you are new and different and you should take advantage of that. Use it as an advantage and change your uniforms all the time and be the Oregon of Florida. And yeah. Scott Frost came in and that's what he did. And it helped to transform UCF into what they are now, which is, you know, usually a, a perennial kind of group of five champion, right? And I think MLS is like that, right? Some of these new clubs are coming in and they can be different, right? They can change their uniforms and they can play around with different concepts because they don't have a history yet. They're figuring out what that is, right? They're, they're creating their own path, right? Atlanta became the five stripes because they were winning and they were wearing that uniform and people loved it. And that nickname came around organically. And, and even now they're starting to push away from it, which is weird, right? Because it's something that was like happening as you were becoming a thing, right? And, and in the same way that like the Timbers stuff has, but like there are aspects of those clubs, those, those older clubs, that, you know, in some ways you shouldn't change because that is the thing that makes you different. If you have a history in MLS, then you are different than the majority of other clubs in MLS, right? DC United should never change being DC United because they have a real history behind that name, behind that logo. I know the logo has been tweaked, but like it basically is yeah. the same thing. Like if they brought Color back the three, the same, yeah. you know, if they could ever bring back the three stripes across the jersey, like... I would I would buy that jersey in a heartbeat because it takes me back to my childhood. Mm -hmm. They have a history, and that can be their advantage. Just like people are saying with Columbus, like you have a history. You've won multiple MLS Cups. The yellow and black are a huge part of that, right? And like the fact that they went to white jerseys, it's like you're pulling your hair out, being like, you you have this history, right? Like, why are you doing that? And I think that like MLS should take a deep breath and recognize that. Yes, in moments and in places, you can play around and try things and figure out who you are. You have expansion teams to do that, right? They they have the freedom to create those identities on the fly and to try different things. And then yeah, you have man. these historic clubs and like embrace that too. Say, okay, yep. like, like the revs, the revs embrace it. Right. And you know, when they built open a new stadium, they, maybe they need a refresh of the brand. I'm not going to say that that flag should be around forever as the main mark. Like, I think they're a good example of like being like the new England Patriots, right? Like they changed their logo from the Patriot hiking the football to what it is now, but they, they bring yep. that logo back every once in a while. There's still throwback gear that has that. You can be the kind of throwback and still have like cooler, newer gear to wear. Like, I think that would be like fine for the revs to do, but like keep the name, you know, keep the mm -hmm. colors, keep everything else. And like, you can, you can embrace your history while also updating what you look like. Right. That, that I think is, is the, the idea. Sorry for interrupting, but no, like, I'm going I, I on think... and on. 
because it goes it goes back to like the thing with Bruce Arena and Audi Field. Was it last season or the season before? I think it was season before where he was sort of made that comment about how there's no banners up. Like you don't see any of the the iconic players represented. Really, you don't see any of the championship banners or anything like that. And that stood out to me because growing up as a fan of the Washington professional football team, less and less so these days. Uh, but I remember like the only championship banner being, or like of, of recent memory from like the year I was born or thereabouts. I it was somewhere in the mid eighties, but it, it never had that intimidation factor of like you come into RFK stadium and you've got banner after banner after banner after banner. Like a lot of times it was like second place in the NFC East or whatever. Like we got the wild card. Great. That's not a banner you want. And. And so when you do have that history like DC United do and like the crew do, it makes sense to rep that. And I'm with you that if you made that stadium, the new stadium, into look at all the stuff we've won, look how good we've been for so long, but even extended it to the U.S. national team. And like we've become the fortress for the U.S. and here are all the historic moments and have those featured prominently. I don't know. Like I just think there's ways that you could play into that history that aren't just, we made it more yellow in a bigger sea, everyone's going to love us now. I, it just seems like you missed the mark, not you, obviously, but they missed the mark because they're focused on let's bring in the people who maybe don't care as much about soccer, but those are also the people who are used to the weird names of American sports. So again, I get confused. You're abandoning all of the history, right, yeah. in the in the logo name change. You're losing the word crew from the name. You're completely, completely changing the logo, right? It's a totally different feel. And, you know, people will say like, well, that, that logo is not even the original one. But yeah, like that's a better example of refreshing a brand, right? Like everyone you talk to around MLS or around this crew thing is like, it's not a rebrand. It's a refresh. Okay. No, it's not. It's a rebrand. You changed the name that and makes the it logo. That even more suspicious like, when that's you a tell re-brand. me the terminology. Yeah, Sorry. it's it's a rebrand. You changed the name and yeah. the logo. That's not refreshing a brand. That's rebranding <laughs> it, you know? And refreshing the brand was changing it from the three guys in the hard hats to the circular logo yeah. that we came to know. And that was actually one of the best in Major League Soccer. And, you know, I just feel like this drastic change, this – yeah, you're betting on something that you don't know is going to come through. You're betting on this logo bringing in this whole new cadre of fans that are going to show up – and stick around for Columbus SC, and you're and you're saying, well, we, we know we have these people; they're always going to be there for us in the in the supporter section. But like, I just think it you're too far undervaluing those fans. And again, sometimes the right play is to embrace your history. And I always say this about soccer and sports in general. Sports is about stories, man. People, for the most part, don't like, of course, hometown fans, they follow the club, the teams and the clubs they love because it's, it represents their home city, but they have memories tied to that, right? Those are stories too. Like I can remember, I also was a fan of the Washington football team growing up, a huge fan. Like, why did I feel any sort of loyalty to them, you know, as I was getting older? Well, mm-hmm. I remember being in the stands at RFK stadium in the end zone when Daryl green intercepted a pass against the lions in overtime. And I was right there, you know, like things like that, that like, those are stories and memories that, that define my fandom. Right. And for casual fans, when we were flipping channels or we're tuning into games that we otherwise might not watch, we're doing that because of stories, right? Like that's, that's why I think MLS suffers in getting its TV audience up because those stories aren't being told kind of in the day to day of ESPN, right? And capturing new fans like, oh, you should watch this because of this. And that's why we see those storylines of like 
Zlatan games because everyone's hyping up and talking about Zlatan. Tune in to see Zlatan, right? And or oh, you've got to see what's happening in Atlanta. It's this crazy movement, and people start talking about it, and then people feel like, oh, I have to tune in to see what's going on. That's a story, and the the crew had one of the best stories in sports. Period. Let alone in MLS of the fans galvanized, like coming together, saving a team and actually doing it. That is an amazing story. And they basically said, cool, it's over. Here's a new story. How do you do that? How do you embrace, not embrace one of the best stories in sports and make it a huge part of your identity? And that's where I think MLS swung and missed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. So two things there. One, it had never occurred to me that the Washington team should absolutely just rebrand to the Washington Daryl Greens or even just the Washington Greens. And then I would be fine with it. Change the uniform color. Go Oregon. There we go. See? Be the Washington professional football team inspired by Oregon University. Why not? That should work. Uh, my other question for you is, again, it's a naive one, but I'm wondering from for your perspective, 
When the reaction to this hits and the owners see this or any MLS team, when they make a mistake, when Charlotte have to walk back the we're playing on grass to we're playing on turf. And there's the response that you would expect when you get those sort of walkbacks, those changes. Do you think owners are there owners in the league that respond with like, oh, no, we got this wrong. We have made a mistake. That's not good. Or do you think it tends to be, as I think it was with the Super League, more of a they're wrong. They'll come in line. And if they don't, oh, well, like how much do you think there is a willingness to listen to the fans and sort of acknowledge when things need to be a different way? And how much of it is it? This is our thing that we own and we'll make the decisions. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the owner. I mean, we can just look at MLS's recent history to see that, right? Joe Mansueto, all credit to him, was willing to put his hand up and say, you know what? We got it wrong. We're going to change it. And I don't care that I spent X amount of dollars to create all of this new gear, all of the signage and branding at Soldier Field and in the signs in the offices in downtown Chicago and all of that. Like, fine, we're going to rebrand and then I'll pay all that money to re do all of that signage mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. It's not cheap, right? It's a, it's in a very expensive undertaking. And then I think, you know, in the fallout here with Columbus, it's very much has been, no, you're wrong. This is what Columbus needs. At least that's been the attitude early on from around the people I've spoken to, um, you know, that are kind of more league related and people, I, I feel like what from our reporting has been the response from Columbus is like, yeah, this isn't changing. You know, Mm -hmm. like you guys are going to have to come to peace with this. Right. And it it all just depends. And, and, and that's the the tough part is like, I, I get it. Like I get that there's a part of me agrees with the idea of like fans shouldn't can't and shouldn't dictate everything. They shouldn't be dictating your decision-making at the highest levels. Certainly not on the sporting side. Right. Like, man, (laughs) you know, covering multiple sports, People just don't understand what goes into roster building and what certain players bring to locker rooms. And we've seen overreactions to everything from quarterbacks to forwards and goalkeepers, you know, World Cup qualifying rosters, all of that stuff where they just I'm just reading stuff and just like, what are you talking about? Right. Like you can't let fans dictate on that level for sure. You have to hire the right people to do that. And I think the branding people would feel the same way. Well, why is it that way for sporting and it's not that way for branding? Well, because that's something that the fans are active participants in. They are actively selling your product by wearing the gear, by holding up the signs, by singing the songs in the stadium. They aren't passive. They're not watching it from a distance like they are with the on-field product. They are representing that brand. They are a part of that brand. And, and I think that is why you should see more of a conciliatory tone from these clubs to recognize that the identity of that club is as tied to the fans as anything else. And when you remove those loud vocal minority of fans, you're pretty darn average. You're pretty normal in the American landscape. And in fact, you're below average in the American landscape because you don't have as many fans as the NFL teams or the NBA teams or the major league baseball teams. You don't have their history. You don't have the people who grew up watching it. Um, you don't have the support from local media the way those other people do. You don't have the support from national media the way the other, those other clubs do. So you have to embrace those small fans. And I think, again, some owners choose to do that mm-hmm. and some owners don't. And I, I actually think if you look, the clubs who are more successful are the ones who are kind of working a little bit more in concert with the fans. Not hand in hand, but at least kind of taking into account what those fans are looking for and 
And the ones who are really struggling are the ones who are butting heads constantly with those fans, fighting them on big things and small. And and that just blows my mind. Who would be – all right, so let's let's go this way. Let's say – not going to happen. I wish it would, but it probably won't. But let's say Louisville become an expansion team. And they're asking you, Paul – like, we know the market we're in. We know that, like, northern Kentucky, center, like, like eastern Kentucky is not going to be, uh, the, like, the area that just automatically pulls in people around the world. So how do we create a team that sort of is organic but does have that potential? Wh- who would be the teams in Major League Soccer that you would point them to that are doing it well, that are balancing the owner having a vision, the front office – getting along well enough to build a really good team, the fans feeling happy but not being given total control or something like that. Who has that balance right in your mind? It's Sporting Kansas City. I think okay. so many so many of the kind of so many of the mid-level non-huge market MLS teams have to look at Sporting as the example. And there are certain things that are hard to replicate. Like the the biggest thing that Sporting has a really good coach/sporting director in Peter Vermees. And because of that, they've had a consistent winner. That matters a ton, right? If you can build consistent winning teams, people keep coming back to this to the games until they become diehard enough fans that they stick through the down seasons, right? So like a huge part of why sporting has been such a big rebrand success is because they've been winning throughout that time period, right? But I think also they've embraced just being sporting Kansas City and and, and embrace that idea of like, we're not a big market. People aren't going to want to come here. I always have to explain where Kansas City is when I pitch it to players. But they've they've taken that, they've embraced it, and they've also committed a lot of money into building local infrastructure, right? They said, okay, we're going to build a great training facility and a great stadium to make people say when they show up, oh, it's worth being here, right? Like, this is amazing facility to work in every day. This is a great stadium. They invested in that infrastructure, they invested in the infrastructure of the club beyond that. They have a big scouting staff. They have a great academy team, right? So that's kind of the model that I would look at if I was a smaller market, kind of not in one of the major cities in America. It's a totally different formula for the Chicago Fire. And, and you know, the way that they go is a lot – it's a it's not an easy task that Joe Mansueto has to make – the Chicago Fire matter, but if you're if you're asking me what do I what do I do if I'm Louisville, I go study Sporting Kansas City for a year or two, and I and I hire people from Sporting, and I follow that model as closely as I can. How big are rivalries? Do you think in terms of building that branding, that awareness? Yeah, I mean it can matter, right? I think it matters in that you want to create again, you want to create storylines that make people tune into your club, even if they wouldn't normally, right? Like you want people to say like, oh, like I need to watch that, you know, Louisville indie game because like we know that these fans hate each other and these players hate each other. And this is the one game to watch if you're going to watch it, right? I mean, that that is the reason people, you know, in the early days of MLS, like why would you tune into like a Metro Stars DC United game? You know, it's because those teams hated each other and something crazy was going to happen. Like something crazy was going to happen and you had to watch to see what that crazy thing was. So in that way, rivalries matter because they tell interesting and different stories that bring in a wider audience. It's also why people don't like forced rivalries. Like sometimes like if if it feels fake, you're 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 still not selling the story, right? Like you know, there no one would have thought that the New England Revolution and Chicago Fire were rivals. 
but they played each other every year in the playoffs for like five straight years. And by the end, it was like you had to watch those games because they hated each other. The same guys were eliminating each other from the playoffs every single year and you had to tune in. That's real. That's, and the, you're not just watching because you're like, oh, it's, it's Boston against Chicago. No, you're watching because the story is telling you this is going to be worth keeping an eye on. Right. And, and that is, I think that's what, again, MLS misses sometimes by trying to create rivalry week is like, just let them happen naturally. Some of them are really great on their own and, and it happens organically, like the two LA teams or Seattle, Portland, or, um, you know, even Atlanta, Orlando, like that's, that's just happened kind of naturally. Um, you don't, you don't have to force it. Again, it comes down to what are the stories telling you? Who would be the teams this season to bring us back to the uh, the current season we're in uh, that are sort of in that same vein that are appointment television that you have to watch because something crazy might happen every single game? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think like right now I'm really interested in watching Atlanta every time they play because you want to you want the storyline yeah. of like can Heinza get this team back on track? They're kind of like they feel like they've been like just a mess. And and obviously, Felipe's article kind of feeds into that. It was a mess behind the scenes. And there were a lot of bad decisions that were made. And now they're trying to get what was the best team and the best story in MLS back to being that, right? To being the example of success in Major League Soccer. So, like, that's a story I'm going to be keeping an eye on all season long for sure. I think um, trying to go through some of the stuff in my head, like, I think the Galaxy are another example of that. Again, it's a similar storyline. Can they rebuild to greatness, right? Can Chicharito continue to score at ridiculous rates? Like you're looking for those stories and you're saying, okay, there is definitely, you know, a story there. Um, I mean, even like, again, early in the season, like the next time Philadelphia and Atlanta play each other, I want to watch that game. You might as well make it a rivalry yep. week if you're MLS because you want to see what's going to happen after the curtain Heinz back and forth in the media. One talks in the media, one doesn't, but he does. Like I want to see what happens the next time those two teams play. Um, and, and for me, like, you know, that's kind of what I'm interested in. There isn't, Oh, I I also have a personal thing towards the Red Bull. Like their Red Bull is like not attractive to watch, but like you got to watch them. Like they're crazy. They're different. They're young as hell. They're learning who they are during the course of the season and they're kind of chaotic. And for me, they're kind of, appointment viewing in a way because because of that chaos because i want to see you know can they can they get back to being like a real red bull team and like can they finally become a part of the red bull pipeline and what would that mean for the club and the city um and also like there are all, all these young players on this team and like i'm really intrigued to see you know does frankie amaya become like a genuine young star in mls in the red bull system when he couldn't in cincinnati um, you know, obviously, Caden Clark has been a great story in Major League Soccer since he's arrived. Um, and so, you know, those that's another team that I'm like, I, I'm pretty much like tied into like watching Red Bull every week. I also predicted that they'd finish with the second best record in MLS. So I'm a little bit like <laughs> I'm a little like pot committed there. I, I kind of have to watch them. Could be worse. You could be Jeff Ruder predicting that Minnesota will win the West. That, it's true. It's very true. Like for a while, I, I the first week or two of the season – after I watched um, Red Bull play and it wasn't pretty and Sam was giving me a lot of crap via text message about how wrong <laughs> I was. And I was like very much conceding my prediction was wrong. And now they're starting to look better surprise as they get more of their players in and they start to learn the system a little bit better. And 
you know, Sam's like, oh, I love the Red Bulls. I'm a Red Bull stan. Like, he's texting me like, I, I, I live for the Red Bulls. And I'm like, you can't just take my team. Like, this is my team. I predicted it at the <laughs> beginning of the year. Um, so I think my prediction will definitely be better than, than Jeff's for sure. Okay. I mean, that makes sense to me. Uh, final question, maybe a couple questions. Um, there, like, like on the weekend review that we do, I think we have done Galaxy games every single game this season so far. Uh, so if we're looking to do a team that maybe is less heralded, I think there are five teams that I tend to rarely mentioned on this show and it would be houston vancouver nashville rsl and colorado of those five which is the one you think is should be highest on the list for viewing this weekend not even in terms of who their opponent is but just which team do you think of those five is the most exciting does the most interesting things plays the most attractive soccer or is just fun to watch for whatever reason i think rsl is worth watching right now again a great story they're they're putting the roster together on a nothing budget Right. They're selling the team. The owner doesn't want to invest in the team while he's being forced to sell it. And they've gone out and they've gotten some some kind of like under the radar, pretty good budget signings. And Rubio Rubin is the best example. Right, He's scoring goals. He just scored on a bike. They loved him in preseason. Um, and I think they're kind of surprised. They also like have like the storyline of what happened with Minnesota and Ochoa, which I love that they embraced at when they went home. He kicked the ball into the stands after the Minnesota game and Minnesota made a big fuss about it. And then after their next game, he went to the home crowd at the riot and kicked the ball into the stands to his fans. And they were like, Oh, it's a new tradition. Like love that. Love that they're embracing that identity. Um, love that they're kind of the underdog. That would be the team I'd watch. I also, I've seen some of Houston and, you know, I think Tab Ramos has put together a much better roster this year than he had last year. And they've actually played some pretty good soccer early in the season. So like, I do want to give a shout out to Tab Ramos and Joe Corona, Tyler Pasher coming up from USL and, and playing pretty well. Um, like pretty cool to see that as well. But I, I think for me, I'd, I would choose RSL right now. And final question for you, actual final question. Uh, what have you got uh, going on this week and next in terms of articles coming out, work you're doing? I know we've got a new Allocation Disorder episode this week. I'm assuming Columbus will be part of that as well. Yeah, for sure. We'll have we'll have plenty of Columbus talk uh, for yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I'm working on a couple of things. There's a – when is this, this going to be out? When are we dropping this episode? Uh, either today. This afternoon or tomorrow morning, one or the other. So Wednesday right. afternoon or Thursday morning. Okay. So, you know, there is one thing coming uh, Thursday morning. I can't say exactly what it is, but all my MLS nerds are going to be super excited for it. Sam and I are working on it today. So that that's uh, that's the best tease I can give you. It's very MLS nerdy. Um, and then I'm working on a big Chicago Fire story. It's, I, I, I've been working on it for a long time. I've had to adjust. Part of it was just me procrastinating. Part of it was trying to find the right time to drop the story. But um, I, got, I got a chance to sit down with uh, Joe Mansueto, the owner of the Chicago Fire. So I'm working on that piece as well. But yeah, I think the thing I'm most excited about right now is this piece. I'm work these pieces I'm working on with Sam that are that are going to be be right there for you guys on Thursday morning to read. All right. Well, we look forward to that. Paul Tenorio, thank you very much for taking the time to talk a lot of Columbus and a little bit of MLS in general. Always happy to do it. Listeners, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back very soon. <laughs>